Um, let, us all, let us bow our heads and let us pray. Our loving and heavenly Father, we thank you that not only that you save us, Lord, from the eternal condemnation, but also you have given us a chance and opportunity to, to serve you, either at home or abroad. And we just thank you, Lord, for this wonderful fellowship that we can enjoy together as believers with a common vision and a common passion. And we pray that at this moment, the word may bring us even closer to you and love you more. In Christ's name we pray and give thanks. Amen. A couple years back, I was... uh, taking an examination, comprehensive examination for my uh, dissertation. And, you know, when you go into this room and facing all these professors in front of you, there were, there were eight of them. And you're sitting in front of them, you know, by yourself and looking at the, their faces. It's really intimidating. And your heart would start pounding, just looking at them. Not even getting uh, the questions yet. And so, well, <clears throat> the questions started coming out, and I was answering some of the questions. One of the questions came up from one of the professors. He said, Mario, do you believe that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man? What would you say? What would be your answer? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man? Oh, yes. You know, before even he was uh, finished with his statement, I already said, yes, yes, I do. And so he pointed to me the passage that we have just read. That's in Mark 13.32. I did not open my Bible because he just cited the passage. He said, well, you believe that Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% man. But why is it that he did not know? Look at that passage. It says, but of the day, he said, but of the day and the hour knoweth no man. Not the angels, nor, I said, not the angels which are in heaven, neither, who? Neither the Son, but the Father. And I said, well, if you believe that Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% man, why is it that he did not know his own coming? You know, I was, I said, oh, that's kind of, Shock. You know, I don't believe in visions anymore that, you know, that there will be visions that would come out. But this time I, was, I really wish that it was some kind of vision <laughs> that would flash right, on this, uh, right behind them so that I can just see the answer there, you know. And I was just, well, you know, it was nice because he liked to talk. This professor, he likes to talk. And so he was talking. While he was talking, I was praying, and my heart began, you know, was really pounding hard, much faster than usual. I said, Lord, I really need the answer right now. Lord, I, I really need the answer, you know. <laughs> this is already, I said, I'm going to start writing my dissertation. And now this question. And this man, he was talking, and he was talking, and he was talking. And finally went back again to me and asked me that question. You know, we think, I began, you know, I was thinking, was it possible that God could change, or Jesus Christ would change? Today he's God and tomorrow he's not God. Could he do that? Huh? 
Could it change not God, today not God, and tomorrow not uh, then God? Could it change? When he became a man, was he God? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, now the disciples, when the disciples look at this, the disciples, it was pretty common. I mean, very natural for the disciples to us. Can you imagine being with God in person as human? He was, he was the manifestation. He was, he is, here is God. That all the God, he dwelleth in him. That's what the Bible said. If all the God, he dwelleth in him. So he's God, 100% God. And yet he was human. And he, you could sit next to him. And people, I mean, the disciples even laying their backs on him. I mean, he was, you know, that's how close they were. And so when I think of it, wow, what would have been an opportunity to ask all the theological questions that I have? Understand? Oh, you can ask all that you can imagine the questions that you can imagine. Lord, and one of the questions that I really wish, I think that if I were with the disciples, I would ask the same question. Said, Lord, when are you coming back so that I can really prepare myself? <laughs> and I can tell everybody, hey, it's going to, uh, you know, uh, Jesus Christ is going to come again. There's such and such and such a date. That would be nice, isn't it? Very nice. And the president would come, either, you know. If he will visit here in Vallejo, he usually announce when he's going and have all the decorations, all the pump outs and everything clean everywhere so that we can really read it for his coming. Now, this is the same question that he asked. He said, when? And I was just thinking, when you think of God being God, what are some of the powers, the attributes of God to qualify him as God? What are those powers? All-knowing is omniscience. What else? Omnipresent. That's why when he said, I will be with you to the ends of the world. And he promised that to all of us. He said, I will be with you. And he dwells with us, within us. So that means he is omnipresent. Okay. You know, when you, when you think of that, so what else? What are the other powers that God possesses, that Jesus Christ possesses? He has to be omniscient, omnipresent. What else? Omnipotent, and is, he is for, uh, forever, no change. He's the same yesterday, today, and for immutability of God. Those are four that has nothing to do with moral attributes. But why is it that he did not know his own coming? I look at these passages. Is there any passages that speaks that Jesus Christ know all? John, you know, John 16.30. Is it now when, you know, the disciples were talking to him? Is it now? We are sure. He said, we are sure that thou knowest all things. <laughs> this is the disciples. We are sure that thou, thou knowest. That's Jesus Christ. He said, thou knowest all things. That needest not that any man should ask thee. But this we believe that thou camest from God. They were so sure that he was, that he came from God. And that he is God because he knows, he knows all. And in verse 31, Jesus confirmed that. He said, Jesus answered them, he said, do you believe me now? <laughs> and now you believe me that I am God because you know that I know all things. He confirmed that he knows. Another passage in Genesis 21, 7. You know, he said, when he was confronting Peter, he said, Peter, thou, do you love me? And he asked three times. And Peter responded, said, Lord, you know all things. You know all things. Once again, it's confirmed that he knows all things. You know, you think of, we think of Jesus Christ when he was 
when he was asleep and he was in the boat and there was waves. And when the waves and the wind were very strong and the disciples were scared and he said, Lord, Lord, he woke him, he woke him up. And he said, Lord, Lord, thou carest that we'll perish. And the Lord Jesus Christ woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And then it obeyed him. The disciples then said, what manner of man is he that even the winds and the, uh, the waves obey him? Once again, they began to question, really, who is he? <laughs> Sometimes we doubt him that he is God. But he has the power. When the Lord Jesus Christ was asked when he was ready to be captured, they were asking, he said, where is he? Who is he? And he introduced himself. He introduced his name. The name that was given back in the Old Testament. What was that name? What was that name? I am. When Moses, remember when Moses, Lord, what am I going to say to the Israelites if they will ask me, who sent you? And then the Lord answered, he said, I am. And that name, the Lord Jesus Christ used when the, when the people were asking, when, when, the, when the soldiers were you know, asking, who, are, who is he? And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am. Just the mention of his name, they fell back. They fell backward. That's how powerful he was. No, but once again, I began to, uh, we, let's get back to the question. Why is it he did not know his own coming? You know, the professor went back again to me on that question. And I uh, answered him, I have an awesome God. I am serving an awesome God. I said, I am serving an awesome God. And Jesus Christ is an awesome God. And I believe that he is 100% man and 100% God. And he knows all. And he is the most powerful God. He is an omnipotent God. He is so powerful. I said, he is so powerful that he had the control to control his own power. He had the power, he is so powerful that he has, he has the control, he has the, he has the power, even to choose what to know and what not to know. And he chose, and said, I will leave that to, to the Father. So only the Father will know when I will be coming back to establish the kingdom. Does it make him less God because he chose not to know his own coming? Does it make him less God because he chose that part not to know his own coming? No. And so my professor said, well, do you have any, do you have any uh, basis for your answer? I said, sure, sure I do. You know, this is, you know, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. He said, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was in the form of God. And what, the, what else it says? He was equal with God. Is there anybody, is there anybody in the whole creation, the whole realm of creation of God that is equal to God? Anybody. If anybody that is equal to God, equal with God, then he must be God. Because if he is equal to God, there is no more. Nobody is equal with God except the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ is equal to God. In verse 7, it says, but made himself but made himself of no reputation. In other translation, that is where we get the word, and he emptied himself. If he was just a mere human being, that means he has nothing to empty about. He was just empty. (laughs) 
But since he's God, he was in the form of God and became a man. He emptied himself. And part of that, he chose not to know his own coming. Very little thing. Very little part. When the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage, if you will continue reading in this passage, then it tells you what else that he emptied. You know, when, <clears throat> when I think of the passage when he was anticipating of his coming death, when he asked the disciples to go and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, Three times he asked the disciples to pray with him and nail with him and pray with him. The disciples, when he went back, they were, they were asleep. But then he returned and prayed. Three times he was asking the father. He said, Father, if it is possible that this cup would pass from me. And the Bible says that while he was praying, he was in agony and he was afraid. He was in agony and he was afraid. That was before the crucifixion. Why is it that he was already in agony? Because he knew every detail of his coming and brutal death at the cross of Calvary. Since he is God. And yet he is purely human. He is 100% human. So he can already feel, humanly speaking, he can feel the agony and the pain of the coming death at the cross of Calvary. That's why he was just anticipating. He was not even captured yet. He already felt that, uh, uh, that suffering, the cruel death that he's going to go through with that suffering. You know, it's interesting. I, I am still struggling. Wow, he prayed three times and asking this to the Father. And the Father said, no. He said, not my will be done, but thine be done. He asked three times. He said, leave this cup. What would it be? He said, could it be, could it be possible that God would say, well, you know, you really don't need to suffer. We can just say, well, everybody is say, uh, be in heaven. God has the power to do that? Does God have the power to do that? He said, okay, never mind suffering at the cross of Calvary. Could, have, could he have done that? He's sovereign. And yet he's balanced. He cannot do it because he's a just God. He's loving, but yet he's just. Sin must be punished. Sin must, sin must be punished. Must, must be paid. Penalty of sin. There is a penalty of sin. Trespasses has to be punished. When I think of this, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, I always remember how Mel Gibson described the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that? What was the, what was the, the, the title? Remember the title of the film? The Passion. You know, I never, when I was, when I was young, I never, I never think that the whip that they used, I thought it was just like the whip that they used, the cowboy whip. But then I found out, you know, just watching how, you know, how Mel Gibson described that the whip, they had some kind of hook, metal hooks at the end of the, of the whip. That those whip, I mean, the whip that they used when it surrounds and circles the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the end of those metal hooks, it would sink into his flesh and in, in his skin. And when they pull it hard, it would tear off his skin and his flesh from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was not only whipped once. That's why they said the reason why when the Lord Jesus Christ was at the cross of Calvary, when they pierced his side, there was not much blood coming out from his side because most of the blood was already drained out even before he was crucified. And when you think of that, 
When I begin to think, every time I think of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, wow. But could he have, did he have power to overcome his enemies? When they were shouting at him while he was crucified at the cross and shouting at him, if you are God, come down. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Could he have done it? Did he have power to do that? Sure enough, he did. Not only to choose not to know his own coming, he had the power also to come down from the cross. He had also the power to invent anesthesia so that he would not feel all the pain that he was suffering when he was being tortured. But he chose not to use that. You know, I remember in Indonesia we have two small Limoncito trees. Have you seen limoncito? You don't have. Do you have limoncito here? I think it will die. Because it's too cold. But in the Philippines, you know limoncito. Yeah, some of you that know limoncito. We have two trees, limoncito trees. And we like to use that for, you know, for juice, whatever. And my wife, she hates to pick up the fruits of limoncitos. You know why? The thorns are as long as that. And very sharp. And so she always asked me to do it. I said, why is it that it should me? It's me. <laughs> now, in Indonesia, when we cook, you know, when we cook, uh, when we cook fish, we always use limoncito to marinate, part of to marinate. And sometimes she asked when it is already dark. I said, wow. I had to find, you know, we don't have flashlights anymore. And so I had to make it sure Make it sure that I don't touch those sharp, real sharp thorns, real sharp. And pick up that, you know, bend, uh, try to bend the, the branches. You really have to be careful because you touch long, sharp thorns. But every time I look at those thorns, I am reminded of the crown of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I look at those thorns... Was it this kind of thorn that they use to crown my Lord? Do you think that when they were trying to, when they were trying to design or form the crown of thorns, that they pick up the one, the thorns that thorns last like that? I think they pick up the thorns that are long thorns, long and sturdy and strong. And do you imagine? They were picking up, they were holding this crown. Do you think that the, those people said, excuse me, can we, you know, we are going to put this crown on you? Huh? Do you think that's what they did? Oh, no. I just can't imagine that they have that. I, I, I mean, they had the appetite to torture the Lord Jesus Christ as much as possible. And while they were, they were holding that crown of thorns and he just took that into his head and that those parts of those thorns some of them penetrate to his own skull and I can just feel the pain and imagine when I touch some of those even on my skin I can feel the pain right away can you imagine how they, how they put that crown into the head of our Lord Jesus Christ and that is the kind of suffering I can, you know, more and more when I imagine, when I think, somebody asked me the question, he said, well, pastor, you t- 
talk about the salvation is by grace and it's not by works. And that you are saved, saved forever. And that you'll never be lost because you are now the son of God. You're being purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now it's free. So that means I can do what kind of sin I want to do. I can enjoy my life. Because now I am saved forever. I will never be lost. And then I began to think and I began to imagine the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, can you imagine the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you imagine what it cost him to save you? And you would have a heart to say that? Wow. You know, there was one time in Brazil. We were going out for picnic. And there were another family went out and started tent, nice tent, put up tent next to the river because we were out to the picnic to the river. And, you know, his wife started putting on her uh, swimming suit and jumped into the water. She did not realize that the, the water was deep because it was very clear. Water was deep. And she did not know how to swim. Oh. And I, you know, I was there sitting and I was just preparing myself. I, did not, I was not looking. And then the husband, when the husband saw it, he jumped. And he too wasn't good in swimming. And my wife was in panic. Mario, 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 Mario. I said, what's going on? What's going on? Because I, was, I wasn't paying attention to, to the river. I was still preparing myself. I said, Mario, Mario, people are dying. Somebody's drowning. Somebody's drowning. I look at them. Oh, yes, two guys. And you know, the wife was climbing on the husband. <laughs> and so she finally got out of the water because she was climbing on the husband, you know. <laughs> but the husband was under the water. <laughs> Went back and said, oh, where is it? Where is it? He said, there, there, there. The husband, he this man there. And he was a seat guy. And I tried to jump into the water and finally pulled him out of the water. And he was sitting. He was sitting. He was sitting there and he was just breathing hard, you know, breathing hard. And right away, folded up his tent. He said, no, let's go home. But he even kind of forgot to tell me thank you. <laughs> and I was just thinking, wow, he did not even say thank you to me. You know, I feel that. Well, he should have said thank you. But can you imagine if not only that he didn't say thank you and he came up to me and he, I mean, kicked me and punched me on my face and said, you know, say all those bad words. Can you imagine if he would do that to me? How would I feel? But that's exactly what, that is exactly what people are doing today. The Lord Jesus Christ has saved him and paid all his sin and really brutally Brutally died for us. And we just kick him back. Blaspheme him. Challenge his power. Defy him. There's no such love. Imagine while he was hanging at the cross of Calvary. The last breath. He was, he was still saying. Lord forgive them. Father forgive them for they know not. That means even at that point, he still wants to show how much he loved those people, those very people that were torturing him, offering forgiveness to them for what they were doing to him. How much more could he empty himself and how, much, how far he could have gone down to really humble himself? And that's what the Bible says, he humbled himself. How far he could, could he have humbled himself? Is there anything, if this message or if this truth will not challenge us to live more godlier 
and be more passionate to the lost souls. What else could challenge us? No more. No more. There's nothing more that could bring that could bring conviction to the hearts of the believers if you fully understand how much he loves us. No wonder Paul says, I prayed. He sent a letter to the people in, uh, in Ephesians, at the Ephesus. He said, I pray that you will understand the depth, the height, the, the length, the width of his love. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14, he said, For the love of Christ compels me. That's pretty good. Huh? He said, the love of Christ compels me. In my old King James, is constrained me, but compels me. Compels me to, to tell others. Compels me to serve him better. Compels me to live a godly life. Compels me to love him more. It's not my love to Christ, but his love that compels me. My love changes from time to time. Your love to God changes from time to time. But his love never changes. That's why the Bible says, for the love of Christ, not my love to Christ, but for the love of Christ compels me. Let us bow our heads and let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. You are such a great God that we serve. We will never be able to fathom and we will never be able to understand the depth and the height and the width and the length of your love, Lord, for such a great love. We pray that this truth may continue to even draw us closer to you. In Christ's name we pray and give thanks. Amen.